It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is CEO Darren Phyllis. Darren became the CEO of Destroller USA in 2008 following a 20-plus year track record of launching profitable businesses and business units. Destroller is a retail entertainment company bringing to life experience-based concepts with art and design at its core and spreading good vibes for ages 0 to 102. With a passion for retail and design, Darren has found his niche with Destroller stores in San Diego and Houston and will be leading the brand into further national expansion. Darren Phyllis, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brand. It's great to be here. Wonderful to have you here as well. Well, we like to kind of always start with hearing a little bit about the early years. What can you tell me about uh, kind of where you grew up and what your family life was like? You know, it, I grew up on this little, um, like a a working farm in in terms of, uh, it, it's a really interesting story, actually. I moved to Northern California. I was just six months old. Um, my mom and dad were from Southern California. My dad was in the Navy for uh, 20 years, got out, had me, and um, they decided they didn't want to live or raise me in Los Angeles or in the Los Angeles area. They were in the Valley. Um, so they bought this 20-acre piece of land in Grass Valley, California. And uh, Is that in put, the East Bay or whereabouts is that? No, okay. it's, uh, Grass Valley is on your way to Truckee. Oh, okay, um, got it, yeah. Uh, kind up of out 80. in the, yeah, up 80 and then off another highway, 174, Highway 20. It's just, it's in the sticks. It's really, there's, <laughs> there's nothing out there but grass and rocks and trees, which is, you know, amazing. Actually, looking back on it, it was an incredible childhood. So my early, my early childhood, we, um, my parents bought this piece of land. It had a couple of ponds. They would stock it with uh, bluegill and trout. Um, and I had a dog and, you know, that whole thing. And we had cattle and horses and goats and chickens and turkeys. And my mom got some other, uh, exotic animals over the years and, um, they built a feed store and this feed store was the supply store for all of these, uh, little micro farms, um, around, you know, Grass Valley, Nevada city, Penn Valley area. So I was immediately introduced to commerce. Um, right away from a very, very young age. Some of my, for the first photos I have are me helping my dad carry sacks <laughs> of feed. He would carry the 50 pound sacks and I would take the three pound sacks because I yeah. was three years old. 
Yeah. Um, I right. had my cowboy boots on and my chaps and I had my own little kit. And um, that was my childhood roaming around this farm with my dog um, and, you know, and, and dealing with customers. My mom would make chili for everybody in the winter. So when they came in and there'd be coffee, you know, I was, I was introduced to customer service. Yeah. Very I mean, it's age. what I know. Um, yeah. So yeah. that, that part of my life was really influential and, and, so mom you know, and dad were, were partners in the business. They both worked it. Yeah, they they worked it. Um, they that's what they did. They built this thing, and that was our revenue. Big change from the San Fernando Valley. Oh yeah, no huge change. Um, and it and it was it was really cool. I mean, I look back on it today, and it, it's fascinating. We had like we we ate everything we planted. I yeah, mean, that's we had, you know the right. you know there's the animals that Farm were there. Fresh. And, yeah, <laughs> before no, you use was, the term. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, it really. Very formidable years. Brothers and sisters? I'm the youngest of five. The youngest um, of five. And wow. I'm, but way younger. So my, I am definitely the accident child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those two, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> my mother always says she wished upon a star, but I'm like, yeah, I don't know, mom. You say that so much. like you're trying to sell me on something. So, um, so the younger kids, were they off the farm uh, by the time you um, moved out? My brother, so my brother's David and Danny. Um, they, my brother David's 14 years older than me and Danny's 16 years older than me. Oh, so wow. they were, that is a big cat. Yeah. Yeah, they were there um, for a little while. Um, so I was, you know, basically an only child, if you look yeah, at it, right, in terms of, right. you know, growing up. Yeah. So, so what were some of the lessons that mom and dad taught you in, in those early years? The, the value of working hard. Um, you know, it was... You know, we're out, I mean, like I said, we're in the sticks. I mean, this is, you know, middle of Northern California, rural Northern California. Um, you want to eat, you're going to work. And it's it was the work of literally feeding ourselves and then also working to have a business, you know, to make the payments and uh, for cars and, you know, very, very simple lifestyle. Um you know, did, did, you, back did mom to, and dad run that run that business pretty much all through your school years? They ran so they ran that particular business until I was five or six, and they sold it. And we moved to another rural community called Chicago Park. And there, my dad got a job um, in Sacramento, so he commuted like an hour and a half every day there and back. And my mom, we and there was actually an apple orchard, and we had all the horses and all the other animals. Um, and my mom was uh, breeding. She was breeding animals and selling them, um, kind of like agriculture and, um, you know, that, the animal part of the, the, the farm and, and whatnot. So, you know, we had that. We always had our own business growing up, um, whether it was, you know, the feed store when I was very little or, you know, that. And then it grew into something else. She started raising uh, exotic cats, Persian cats, like high show quality cats, and she'd sell them for four or $5,000 a pop all over the world. And, um, we had other businesses, um, as a family, my dad ended up quitting the job that he was doing and we opened up another business in another town and we always had stores. We're always selling to people. I was always around that. Uh, it sounds like both mom and dad were entrepreneurs. Yes, absolutely. Mom, mom is the uh, entrepreneur really. Um, my, I think my dad being a military guy was used to, uh, kind of following her lead. Uh, it's <laughs> kind of funny cause I, we tease each other about it obviously, but, um, you know, she, she was the visionary of what to do, um, what people wanted. She was the buyer. Um, and my dad was the guy that, you know, took care of the books and he did the, uh, you know, very good at customer service. He did all the physical manual labor stuff. 
Um, but if you were to look like the structure of the business, mom was the, uh, the visionary and my dad was the- I love the chili story during the winter. I, one of my clients, one of our clients in the Bay Area is Kelly Moore Paint. And one of the ways they got established uh, early on back in the 40s and 50s when they got going was they opened a half an hour early than every other paint store and they served hot coffee. And uh, those two, you know, free, right? And those two things really enamored uh, most of the painting suppliers and the contractors, rather, uh, throughout the, the uh, you know, the Valley and, and uh, San Francisco Bay Area. And for obvious reasons, they've, you know, really established that as the painter's, paint, the painter contractor's painter. I think that's actually one of their selling ideas. Those types of things really make a difference. Did, did, did you have a pretty loyal or do you remember to have it being a pretty loyal consumer base or customer base? I mean, we're, you know, yeah, but I don't know if it was so much for, honestly, looking back and thinking about it as you asked the question, if it was because, um, you know, the great customer service that they gave, and they did, they gave a really good customer service, very friendly, you know, these people came in, it's, it's like, cheers, everybody knows your name, and I remember that. Um, also, there was a captive market. If you look at what we were doing in, in all the businesses that we, that I was, you know, witnessing as I was growing up. There really wasn't competition, and that was another thing that I think that they identified. They, you know, it's small business, and you know they're selling supplies or selling other knickknacks or bringing other things to the town that you really didn't couldn't go anywhere to get it because yeah, we were so no one else was doing it. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they, you know, for the Internet of Things, they they were bringing convenience to the little town. That's great. What about your student life? Were you a good student in school? I was a good student. Um, it's funny as you know thinking about. That, you know, going back and thinking about my life as a, as a young student, you know, I didn't really try hard. Um, and I think it was because, I don't, I don't know what it was, but I, I didn't have to work really hard. I would do my homework in class. Like yeah, I, wanted to, I didn't want to take my homework home with me. I would yeah, just do yeah. it um, at school. And um, I was, but I was good. I, did, I got straight A's all through, you know, all my schooling and, you know, the 4.2s or whatever in high school. And um but I think it was also because of where I went to school. I went to school in Northern California in this little town. And at the time that I went, it wasn't, it wasn't incredibly hard. I would actually say that I wasn't very well schooled. Um, but there was other things that developed my youth that are, that I would never exchange. So I don't want to be too critical of my education. Um, but I got a reality check when I went to university, like I don't know anything. <laughs> um, it was really hard was for me to catch up to the other kids. Um, that first year was a struggle. Um, what were some of the things you were doing outside of class during your earlier years? Any sports, music, yeah, theater? Yeah, I was those very, very active. Um, well, they, they, I, my parents tried, or my mom tried to get me to learn piano. So I took piano lessons for a couple of years when I was five. And then I would just play around with it, um, you know, actually through until I, I left the house to go to school, I would always play around on the piano. Um, but I'm definitely not a good musician. I, I was a very good baseball player. Um, that's what I would do. And I, 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 to this day, it's my favorite. If I have an opportunity to pick up a bat and uh, hit the ball, it's, I really love that. Um, I played basketball and I uh, played baseball, played American football. Um, I say that because I live in Mexico, so I'm used to saying American football instead of soccer. Right, right. Soccer, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would play, I played football and, uh, for a little while, but baseball was my passion. Um, I was in the Boy Scouts, loved hiking and fishing and camping and all those scouting activities as well. Make it to Eagle Scout? I didn't, you know, I, it's kind of weird. I, and I, that's one thing I wish I had done. And if, if 
if I ever have a, a, a son, that's one thing I would, you know, encourage him to follow through on. I was so close. I was like two merit badges away. <laughs> and, and I, and I, I stopped because, um, I, I was playing football and it wasn't cool to be a boy scout. Right, um, I right. fell into that, uh, peer pressure thing at high school. Like, you know, you're, you're like, it's not cool. And, you know, I didn't really know a lot of kids when I went into high school because we merged like two uh, middle schools to, to our high school and our middle school. My middle school was very, very small. Um, so, you know, I was kind of like this, you know, odd kid out and I'm playing football and the kids are making fun of me, you know, for being a Boy Scout. And so I just quit. So, you know, I, I, I wish I, like I said, if I, if I have a boy and he's interested in that, I'd, I'd really encourage him to follow through just to complete something. You know, I think it's very important. During your early years, were you involved in some entrepreneurial things beyond mom and dad's business? Not really. I mean, I was really, I, I had to work, you know, with them and, you know, to help with what we were doing. And, um, you know, I, I worked a cash register at a very, very young age. My dad taught me how to count back change. I mean, there wasn't, we didn't have a cash register that told you how to do it. You know, you had to count it back. And, you know, those skills were, um, I, I still have them, you know, those are very those are very important lessons at a young age. Um, but outside of that, I really didn't, uh, I didn't do my own entrepreneurial endeavors. I mean, my brothers have a lot of stories of the fun things they would do to make money. And I would, I grew up listening to those fun escapades, but I never, I never went outside of what we were doing as a family to, to earn money. Was it kind of a foregone conclusion that you'd go on to college? Uh, yeah, I really looked to And there it's, it's interesting because neither one of my parents had gone to to college. My dad, like I said, my dad was in the Navy for 20 years and, um, my mom had four other kids before me and she was busy with that. Um, but all of my brothers, um, went to college. Well, my sister didn't, but my brothers went and I knew that that's what I was going to do. Um, I was in constant, even though they are, they were gone, I was in constant contact with my, my brothers and they were always, uh, encouraging me to study and get good grades and, and, and explaining the importance of, of school and, and, and continuing my education. Yeah. So you're motivated. How did you pick a major and, you know, decided what you wanted to go into? Well, you know, I was actually a really good art student in high school and I really started to pick up on replicating photos um, and using the pencil medium of marine life. And I was fascinated by marine life. And I wasn't, I didn't grow up near the ocean, um, but I would go to the ocean maybe once or twice a year because my grandmother lived in Los Angeles and we'd always go to the beach. And I was always uh, enamored by the ocean. So I thought that I wanted to be a marine biologist. I got my, my senior project was, uh, I got certified in scuba diving and I had to talk about that process in Monterey Bay. And I just thought that that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't know what it was. Um, my guidance counselor in high school, I don't even remember having a conversation with her about it, honestly. So I chose, um, I applied to UC San Diego, UC Santa Barbara, and UC Santa Cruz because I just thought that since those were the UC schools on the coast, they would have a marine biology program. Um, uh, and I got accepted and I chose UC Santa Barbara because uh, my brother Randy went there. So um, and he studied biology and he always told me they had an amazing uh, science program, a biology program. And I did some research and they had some, obviously there's some uh, marine studies. Um, and so when I got there, I, I took my, all my undeclared bio stuff, biology and chemistry and uh, calculus and all this stuff. And I, and I didn't like it. Um, I didn't like it at all. And even though I was very, very good at those things in high school, 
I mean, I was very good at those things. And I enjoyed them in high school. For some reason at that age, I didn't find any enjoyment in that course of study. Um, And so a friend of mine that was going there, he was studying uh, law and society. Um, He also, he and I, we, we met each other because we're actually both going in as undeclared bio majors and we became really good friends and roommates. So he, he quit right away. He's like, this is not for me. I stuck out the year, passed all the classes. And then my sophomore year, I'm like, yeah, I got to figure out what else to do. And I saw that I kind of liked what he was, was studying. Um, the it's, it's social science um, and liberal arts. And I took a liking to that and I switched my major to that and did very, very well and really enjoyed it. I was um, studying law and society and I was really, I became captivated by it. And, and I think it's, what it's done for me is, is it taught me how to learn and it taught me how to teach myself. Um, those are things that are, and I use that as a lesson to all the people that work with me because, you know, and I, and I use it every day. I mean, I, I don't have, I don't have a boss, right? My boss is um, the consumer and it's what I do my day to day. That's what tells me what to do. So you have to learn to learn and you have to learn how to learn quickly and you have to know where to look for the right things to help you get through your your projects and your challenges. So um, I, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I was able to, you know, I had a friend that picked that and I kind of followed his his uh, his guidance. He he went into law enforcement, which is that was one of the things, and I and I just went into business. Yeah, cool. And um, did you work during your college years uh, as well? I did. Or, or, I did. Yeah, I worked full time at Pacifica Suites Hotel. <laughs> off of uh, Hollister Avenue. In I know Santa where that's Barbara. located. <laughs> yeah, it's two, Santa two miles. My home. I think you knew that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so two miles from uh, the campus. Um, actually, my brother, one of my brother's best friends, Michael Enson, got me that job. Um, Mike was the was the assistant manager there, and uh, I went in for an interview. I was 18 years old, and he said, "You want a job? You can have it. Um, you just got to do this, this, and this." And he taught me uh, the hospitality business, which I that was my passion. I loved it. It was so much fun. I loved working. I, I, I had a great time working full time. I, I looked forward to going there. It was awesome. Did you have any management responsibilities in that role, or was it more of an individual contributor type of thing? Minor, too? minor responsibilities. I mean, I didn't have any people under me per se, um, but I, you know, I was responsible for. I mean, I would be there alone from six till eleven o'clock at night. Sometimes I'd have to do the audit shift, and so the whole property is under my management. You know, you have to make the decision. I can't call. I couldn't call anybody if there was a customer complaint. We had, I think, 84 rooms when I left, you know, and you have, you have a full house. That hotel, it's a great property. The, the occupancy rate there is like, it was always full. And, you know, you just have to, to deal with it. And that was another, that was a great experience. I'm so grateful for that. What was the first full-time job you took outside of college? So this is where my entrepreneurial life really begins. Um, so my brother, David, um, I finished my junior year. Um, I was on course to graduate in between my junior and senior year. So I was going to take some summer school classes. I was going to finish early from Santa Barbara. And my brother calls me and goes, hey, I want to make you the president of this company that I'm starting in Mexico. Now, I'm I'm 19 years old, and I hear the president of this company in Mexico, and my eyes opened up, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is going to be fun. I don't – mind you, I don't speak Spanish, and I had no idea what he wanted me to do. Um and what it was, was a company that would supply the display fixtures for Tower Records. And this particular project was for Argentina. Um, my brother was uh, the joint venture partner. 
um, for Tower Records in Mexico, and they had asked him to oversee the Latin American operations. And his first task was to open a store in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And so as he's going through the budget, he finds a huge opportunity to save money on the racking of this store. Um, and so he asked uh, the, the company if he could do the racking, um, if he could set up a company and do that, and they let him do it. And he asked me to come down and manage that project and do that project. So here I am, fresh out of uh, my junior year of college, after my <laughs> resignation at the hotel. No knowledge of Spanish. No Spanish. And no idea of industrial design or retail or merchandising. I mean, I'm a kid. And I, I remember I went to an outlet store. My sister, Wendy, took me to the outlet store at Camarillo and bought, helped me buy some clothes that can make me feel like somewhat professional because I had no idea. I mean, I'm telling you, I had no clue what I was getting into. So I remember and I get to Mexico City and, and I'd been there once before to visit my brother. And um, it's just this, I'm from Grass Valley. I'm from this town of like, Nobody. <laughs> it's like, and here I am, huge city, going to like the second largest city in the world. The pollution, the, it's a, it's a concrete jungle. Like, that's it, it, I don't know how else to explain this place, especially you know twenty years ago. And um, I remember going to the house, and you know, David getting me settled in. My brother David getting me settled in his house, and we go to a meeting like the next day. And here I am wearing my khakis and my polo shirt, thinking that's what I'm supposed to wear. I remember it so clearly, like vividly. It was the worst outfit you could imagine. And um, we go to, uh, I think we went to like McDonald's or Burger King with the guy that owned the factory. And then we started talking like how we're going to set this up and what I would do and how I would start learning, um, you know, the process of the design of the display fixtures and how were we going, what were the challenges? I mean, so, so here I am, 19 years old. I don't speak Spanish. I'm in another country. I don't have any friends there, which is probably a blessing because I would have been distracted. Um, I have to learn industrial design, machine programming, and, and whatnot. I have to coordinate the manufacturing, the import of actually material from the United States to Mexico, um, hardware issues, because you know the way these are knockdown display fixtures, how we're going to package all of these, how we're going to export them. So we started a new company. I had to get it certified to export. And then what are the requirements to import it into Argentina? And then I, the end of the project is, you know, I have to teach these guys in, in Argentina how to build these racks and go down there. And then, you know, at the same time, I decided I was going to continue my education. So I'm still going to college. Um, I negotiated with my professors to let me just show up oh, you the terms and you finals. Hadn't finished yet. I hadn't finished yet. So, I mean, that was something <laughs> that I was going to do. So I'm doing all of this and it was the greatest experience of my life that, um, that particular project, you know, there were hiccups, but I had learned, I think just from being around business, there's always going to be something that goes wrong. It's up to you to determine if it's really a big issue or not. And you just get through it, you know, just work through it. Um, I think the, and the ethics, my, my parents taught me of working hard, just nothing phased me. It was like, there was no, nothing could, especially at such a young age, right? You're so naive and ignorant. You're just like, whatever, this just must be what it's like. So I guess we just do it, right? And that's what we did. And we turned this in, this summer project into a really good business. We ended up manufacturing until Tower's demise, all of their display fixtures all over the world, except for Japan, because um, that was a separate entity. But we made them everywhere. And the UK, I went to Colombia, we sent them to the Philippines, to Dubai, um, 
all over Mexico, United States. And I got to go and set them all up at a very young age. Uh, it was, that was my, that was my experience. It was amazing. I'm curious about, you know, obviously the language more than anything else. How long did you stay in Mexico city and how quickly did you learn Spanish? So it took me about six months to be able to have any type of conversation. I mean, I learned the basics really quickly because I did take Spanish in high school and in college. Um, you know, so I, I understood the structure of the grammar and I knew some words, but I was, I had to learn technical Spanish. Um, I had to learn about, you know, processes and manufacturing, um, logistics, um, things that I didn't know about in English, let alone in Spanish. Right. So, um, it was really interesting. I learned how to, I learned how to use AutoCAD. I was taught by somebody at the factory and he taught me in Spanish, um, how to use AutoCAD. So it was really, it was a, that was just the way to do it. A complete immersion. Um, and it was a, I was, I've been in Mexico off and on f- for 18 years. Um, these last two, three years I've been, it's been almost three years now, actually, um, been in LA, um, for the project that I'm working on now. And did you manage people when you were down in Mexico? Did, was that part of the assignment or was it more of a individual contributor helping out your brother? Well, the first, so there were several projects when I was there. So the first project, you know, the one I'm talking about, we called that company Rack Max. Brilliant name because <laughs> we racked <laughs> their stores. So funny. It didn't matter because we weren't, we, we had the captive client. I mean, I was selling the Tower Records. Um, so in that company, I didn't have any employees. Um, I coordinated with the Maquilador, which is the manufacturer that uh, we used in Mexico. So just coordinating between his staff and then the different uh, groups um, in that project. But in 2000, um, I, or 2001, I started working with Tower Records in Mexico. And that was really my first leadership position where I had employees. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my brother David was the uh, joint venture partner with Tower Records, and he wanted to sell it. Um, he was done with it. He was starting a new business in, in um, entertainment management. He was managing uh, artists, uh, music artists in Mexico. And he was done with the Tower Records thing. He saw, you know, what was happening. This is before, you know, Tower had gone bankrupt and the end of the music industry is, or the retail music industry as we know it. And uh, so he asked me to come on and he said, just keep it afloat while we sell it. <laughs> that was my mission. Just keep it afloat. You're not going to build the business. Um, just maintain it and don't lose money. Let's just keep it as it is. And and I'd never managed, you know, anybody before, um, really. I mean, I'd worked with people, but I'd never managed anybody. So it was, uh, that was it. That was my first, my first attempt of dealing with people. What were, what were some of the early uh, management lessons you took away from that job? That one really, and it's interesting because my Spanish wasn't great. Um, so I really had, and, and this is probably by accident, I really had to learn to listen um, and listen to the whole thing. I couldn't even begin to form a thought of a reply of anything because I had to really understand what they're trying to tell me because I didn't, you know what I mean? So, and that's an incredibly valuable lesson. Um, I mean, learning how to listen, learning how, even outside of business. I mean, just learn how to listen and, you know, fully absorb the the context of a message being conveyed to you and reading body language and everything. So I could really understand. And, and that was, it was a challenge for me to, because of the language, but that was a great lesson. How would you say your leadership style has evolved over time? 
I've become less involved and I've learned to step back um, because most of, most of the businesses I've been involved with and uh, this project in particular, which is the largest one I've done so far in terms of the responsibility and the revenue that we generate and the work that we do, you know, you learn, you know, as you, I, when, I, when I came into this particular project of Destroyer um, in Mexico, you know, it was a, it was a very small company. Um, it was my ex sister in law. She was married to David, my brother David, um, and it was just a project, a hobby, kind of for her. But she had a nice business, um, at least in terms of like she was selling stuff. But it was you know, and and it was very small, and chaotic. So I was very hands on because I would always do my things. I was always like very entrepreneurial and always doing everything. So I knew how to do a little bit of everything, kind of that jack of all trades. Uh, syndrome. And uh, I didn't have to delegate. There was nobody to delegate to. So seriously, that's just the way it was. And so as we grew, I learned the importance of hiring people that knew more than me in their respective areas and to really count on them. And then my job becomes, I'm actually directing the business. I'm not operating the business. Um, that that's been a big deal. And even now that we're doing a new project of expanding our brand into the United States, where we've gone back to a, you know, this startup mentality, I had the, I have experience of owning, operating a business and that's what we're doing. But at the same time, I've, I've learned to, um, delegate very quickly to junior people because I need them to make the mistakes now when it's not important, when it like the mistakes they can make now can't be catastrophic. I've got two stores and, um, we have an online business. There's nothing they can do that would be catastrophic. So I want them to stumble and learn and, and kind of become entrepreneurial on their own. And that's how my style has become. It's, you know, come to me for help. I'm your coach. I will guide you. We will communicate constantly. I will, I'm here for you, but you have to learn on your own. I think it makes strong, strong leaders within the organization. How do you decide when it's time to micromanage or when to stay out of their sandbox? If we're stuck on something, I'm just stuck. I, I get involved and move us forward. Um, I think that uh, it's incredibly in, important for the organization, no matter what we're doing, we can't be stuck on anything. There's no reason to be stuck. I think that's a really dangerous thing to happen, no matter what it is. I mean, it could be from, you know, the launching of a new product to, you know, a, a campaign of some sort or hiring somebody. You can't get stuck because then you can get used to it and then you can get stuck on other things that are more important. So I get involved when I see that we're, we're in a lull. Um, I'll just take over and do it right now. Cause we're small. Once we get bigger, that's not going to be able to happen. Um, but that's how I, I step in right now. And I'll do how some many of that employees are you now, Darren, in the, in the U S I think I'm 23 or 24 because of our stores. Um, I have a couple people in Mexico city still that just to take advantage of the economies of scale there. And that's and where are you still office operating is. in Mexico. With this business? I am not. I'm, I'm on the board of that entity um, in Mexico, so I'm an advisor there. But I do not uh, participate, really. And I'll step in if they need me. I mean, there's a few projects I've helped them out with. Is it the same business model? I mean, are they doing the same thing there as, they are, as you're doing here? It is. So the business model in Mexico, the one that we put together, has three primary models. There's the, the brick and mortar. Um, we have, so that's direct-to-consumer. We have uh, business to business where we will sell to the likes of Walmart and whatnot. And then we have a licensing model where we will license the intellectual property of our brand to third parties to where they can sell business to business. In the United States, what we're doing right now is right now, as of today, it's 100% direct to consumer. 
Um, we're going to keep it like that for a while, and then eventually we'll we'll go into other models. What are your thoughts about building a company culture? You know, for it's it's, it's a great question, and I think it's incredibly important because the culture for me, it's always been you know you're with these people most of your day, uh, most of your life, and at the end of the day, we have to fit in and, and be able to work together to reach a common goal and help each other. Um, so it, that's very, very important. Um, I think, and that's one of the jobs of the CEO. We have to establish the culture of the organizations that we're managing, because I think that if you, you don't, and you just, you, I see a lot of examples of where like the culture fails and the organization just doesn't work. Um, so yeah, very, very important. What would you say is unusual or perhaps unique about Destroller? We're weird. <laughs> I love we're your email really weird... signature, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you no, do we're... just about everything, from what I gather. Yeah, we're we're a weird company. Um, it's we're irreverent, we're disruptive, we're innovative. Um, it's um, you know, and it's it's funny because we deal in the toy space in this market. That's really where our focus is. So we're we have a bunch of you know. Here I am, a forty year old guy. I don't have any kids of my own yet. Um, hopefully one day I do. And I'm making toys for six year old girls. And it's and that's that right there is a weird thing. So to understand my consumer, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and you know I have to build a team that understands the consumer. But it's it's more about like this is an incredible challenge for all of us. And we're in it for the challenge and we're really in it for the passion of what we're doing. Um, we have, we're influencing children. And I think that's a huge responsibility, um, a huge responsibility. And we take that with, you know, great care and very responsible about how we do it. And, but at the same time, we are irreverent. And there's some stuff in there that some people may not agree with, with what we're doing. Um, and we say, we don't educate. We merely give our humble opinion. This is not a company that is for everyone. It's not a company for everyone to work at, but the ones that do love it, they really love it. And we have a great following because of that. Well, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in to join your company? Character. It's really important. I have somebody that I can trust, um, being trustworthy, um, I, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's a huge thing. I mean, cause we, we delegate, we do delegate now. Um, we do, I do need to make sure if you're going to tell me it's going to be done or you're going to do something, um, you will do it. Do you interview everybody that's uh, joining the company at this stage? No, not, not at the retail level. I'll, I'll get involved for the managers at the store right now just to help out until, um, my retail operations manager gets a, a better grasp on it. Cause he's a younger guy. So I'll, I'll help him with that. That's one of the things I'm doing to coach him is, you know, through that interview process for managers. And then, you know, if I'm in the office for other positions that we're looking for, I'll help. But I try to stay away from that. Um, and anybody that directly reports to me, I will interview. How do you interview and hire? What, what do you look for? I just want to get a feeling. And I, I got to be honest with you, this is my, my biggest area of opportunity. Um, I don't think I'm a very good interviewer, um, honestly. I I tend to base my decisions on chemistry a lot of the time, which honestly has worked out pretty well for me. Um, but sometimes I, I don't read the person well. But I, I think in general, I, I, 
I don't know. I think I need to take a more formal approach perhaps to the process because I'm more about, I want to make sure you fit in here and that you want to be here and you understand how hard this is going to be. So usually the interview process, what I do is I'm the one that's doing a lot of the talking and uh, because I want to explain to them what we're having to, what they're going to have to deal with. And then I try to read their reaction. Like, okay, did I, did I scare you out of this? Because it's not going to be easy. <laughs> or did you get it? Yeah. Or did you get it? And are you in love with it? And now I want to hear you tell me about what you thought I just said. So, and it depends. I mean, because those positions where I get involved with, I mean, we're talking at, at this stage of the game, these are people that are going to be with us hopefully for a very long time that are higher ups in the organization. So um, that's really, that's how I go about it. Um, well, Darren Phillips, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, thank you. We do have one last question. We ask all the CEOs and, you know, that's what career and life advice you, you'd give to someone who has their eye on the corner office or perhaps, you know, wants to be an entrepreneur like you and, and build their own business. I would say be prepared to invest a lot of time. Mm. Um, I don't want to say that you're going to sacrifice because for me, this isn't a sacrifice. Um, I love what I do. This is, I'm incredibly passionate about what I do. Um, I would say, and I have to give this advice to myself all the time, is make sure you, because you love it so much, don't make this the only thing you do with your life. Um, there is a beautiful world out there that needs to be seen and conquered and just enjoyed. Make sure, you know, you have to make sure that you take time for yourself away from all the gadgets and turn off everything. And, you know, I, what I do is I I just try to, you know, I'll try to throw in a triathlon every once in a while just to stay fit and you don't have, you can't take your iPhone with you on those things. So it's, it's really important to have that personal time. And if you can do that um, and you can understand that you're still going to dedicate a lot of time to the corner office, I think you'll have a great time. It's uh, for me, there's, I wouldn't change anything. I'm incredibly happy with what we're doing. Well, Darren, thank you again. Really appreciate your time and effort and sharing your journey with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.